Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, We live, we love, we serve. Amen. Amen. I want to turn to a a familiar story today found in the gospel according to John. I've been saying to folk that I've been in a a space where I've just wanted to talk more about the carpenter um, these past few weeks. And so I want to go to one of those gospels that records some of the work of the carpenter, Jesus. It's found in John, the fourth fourth chapter, verses 16 through 24. And I'm reading from the Message Bible, John 4, 16 through 24. This is the famous encounter that Jesus had at Jacob's well with the Samaritan woman. John 4, 16 through 24, and it reads as such. He said, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You had five husbands. The man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this, our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when the Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. Your worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of the day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will no matter, will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are, the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Let's pray. God, thank you. We thank you, O God, that although time 
is filled with swift transition. You are constant in our lives. God, your sustaining power, your loving power, has a way, O oh God, of soothing us in the places of our deepest wounds. Your spirit has a way, O oh God, of making us strong in the broken places. Your presence comforts us in wrong rooms where we find ourselves all by ourselves. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, on tonight, on this day, this day you've given us, let your word go to work, oh God. Let your word go to work on our hearts, on our minds, on our spirits. Let your liberating word set those of us free who have held ourselves captive. Let your transformative word rearrange and reimagine those of us who often look at ourselves under the gaze of people who don't love us. Bind us, O oh God, in your love. Bind us, O oh God, in your spirit. And we will continue to live, to love, to serve. Thank you, God. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Allow me to read that passage again. John 4, 16 through 24. And hear these words. He said, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this, our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. Your worship guessing in the dark, we Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews but the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter. Where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him and their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves. 
in adoration. Some translations read, God is spirit, and they that worship God worship in spirit and truth. This morning, I want to speak from this idea, the secret to real worship, the secret to real worship. Amen. It is amazing to me how deeply entrenched we at times find ourselves in the idea of difference. I'm often amazed at how at times we find ourselves, if you will, almost fixated on difference. Fixated in such a way that we look at difference and look to difference at times to establish hierarchies of value. We look at the differences between people, between races, between genders, between ethnicities. We often look at these differences as a way, tragically, to become divisive. This world is filled with an irrational tendency to allow our differences to become the poison that, that poison, or rather the toxin that poisons our humanity. Think about that. We allow the differences that exist between one another to poison our very humanity. What does one's life look like when instead of being shaped by what binds us, the commonality of uh, our humanity, we constantly are fixated on our differences. The truth is that if you look at it clearly and honestly, our differences, our racial differences, our ethnic differences, our religious differences, our gender differences are really social constructs designed to establish levels of superiority. Think about that for a second. Paul, who often I can be hard on, put it this way, that in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile. What Paul was getting at is for those who claim to be caught up in the Jesus movement, that we don't lead with differences, that in what he calls this idea of Christ, but in particular, the Jesus movement, there is no difference. But I ask again, what does your life look like when almost every day, the lenses by which you look at life are poisoned by the toxin of difference in such a way that you don't only see difference, but you use difference to become divisive. Wars have been fought because of difference. 
people have been killed, ostracized, marginalized because of difference. And there's nothing more tragic, in my opinion, than when those persons who claim to be disciples of the carpenter allow the toxin of difference to contaminate who we claim to be. But I understand it. There are many of us who can't get past the things that make us all different. I, 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 I like looking at it this way. Not difference, but maybe creativity, maybe imagination. I like to think of the idea that God is ultimately creative and ultimately imaginative. We see in the very beginning, as according to the book of Genesis, that, and I've shared this a few weeks back, that, that the first image of God we get in Scripture is that of creator. And God is not a creator with a limited imagination. That what would the world look like if everything looked the same? There would be no uniqueness, nothing that galvanizes our singular distinction in God's creative imagination. And yet, we do not look at difference as a way to honor the creativity of God or the imagination of God. Think about that. The God who makes several different kinds of flowers and trees and birds and fish, animals and in life and in nature, we see the creative imagination of God. And yet, when we come to one another, we don't see creativity and imagination. We see inferior, superior. We see good, bad. We see sane, insane. We see problem and problematic. That's what we do. This is not what God does. This is what we do. But when you allow the lenses of your life to be shaped by difference, you let that be at the center of encounters you have with people whom you may label as other than yourself. You don't see the commonality of your humanity. You don't see the ties that bind us. We simply see what is different. How interesting it was that when Jesus was tired and wanted something to drink, he comes to Jacob's well, and he sees a woman there, and he asks the woman to help him, assist him with getting a drink from the well. A simple request, thirsty, and he wanted a drink. But the woman didn't really hear him. She said, how is it that you, a Jew, are speaking to me, a Samaritan? And a woman at that. You see, it was not practice to speak to women in the daylight, especially women who were not your wife, your mother, your relation. And certainly it was not good practice for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan woman who Samaritans were viewed as the, as the, the enemies of the Jews. They were Jewish, but they were not pure in their heritage. 
And here's a woman who, when Jesus asks for a drink, the possibility of extending her humanity to another human being, she first leads with, how do you speak to me, a Samaritan? Well, Jesus cuts through all of that, and he begins to pour into her and raises this possibility that if she knew who it was who was speaking to her, she would be consumed not with the well, but with living water. Somehow she would look beyond her physical need and see that there is a deeper spiritual need that she may have that is connected to the water he's offering. The water he's offering is life. The water he's offering, he says, is the kind that when you consume it, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be in a state of lack or need. He's not talking about literal water, but he's talking about something else that somehow once you consume it, life continuously replenishes itself in such a way that you do not become cognizant of lack. I hope you hear this this morning. He continues the conversation with the woman about this whole notion of living water. She then tells him, my God, if you have access to that, give me that kind of water. I, I I want the kind of water that when I drink it, I will thirst no more. She may have been thinking about literal thirst, but maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus was speaking of consuming not water, but flowing ideas. That maybe what Jesus offers is an idea, a thought, that once consumed, you realize not your deficit, but your assets. Maybe, maybe what Jesus is speaking of is something that is beyond physical need or physical thirst. Maybe, maybe what Jesus understood is that this woman who was a Samaritan and a woman who was labeled in certain ways because she was a Samaritan and viewed as inferior because she was a woman. Maybe, maybe Jesus was trying to tell her, if you consume what I am offering, you'll never see yourself through the lenses of those who see you negatively. Maybe when you consume what I'm offering, you begin to look at yourself under the gaze of God and not under the gaze of people who cannot fully ascertain or appreciate the value and significance of your humanity. Ah, what if, what if today we, we, we had access to that kind of well? What, what if we had access to that kind of water? What What if we were so convinced about the significance of our humanity that we did not have to prove our value, our worth, or try to show people we matter? He says to her, if you drink from this, you'll never be thirsty. She still doesn't get it. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's still fixated on well and not wellness. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you better than our ancestors, Jacob, who dug this and his children? How are you going to get this? And Jesus has to reiterate to her again, everyone who drinks of this water, this water at the well will be thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within 
gushing fountains of endless life. Wait, pull back. He, he's, he, he redirects her. The water that I give you will not come from this well. Hold on. The water I give you will manifest itself in gushing spring, springs flowing from within. Hold on. The water I give you will actually manifest as a gushing spring from within. You mean possibly, Jesus, that what you are offering is the possibility for the woman to see what is already present within her in such a way that she can tap into life eternal. This is what Jesus is offering. And then she says, when he says, then, sir, give me this water. So I won't ever have to come back to this well again. Show me how to tap into the flow within me so that I won't be consumed with physical need. Show me. And here comes the test. Go call your husband and then come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus, somehow aware of the woman's marital and dating status, says, that's good. You've had five husbands already. The man you're with now is not even your husband. She gets hit, confronted with the reality of her circumstances, not understanding how he knows the intimate details of her own personal life. And she says, okay, that's good. Well, since you're a prophet, well, how is it? How is it then? Look how the transition takes place. How is it that our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews worship in Jerusalem because you see Samaritans believe that God was worshiped in the mountain. The Jewish people believe that God was worshiped in the temple in Jerusalem. You had some people who believe that you worship God high up, and then there's other people who believe that you worship God boxed in. You'll get that later. There were some people who believe that you worship God in the mountain, and then some who believe that you worship corporately in this temple, in this, in this facility, in this space. He said that's the difference. She shifts from what Jesus is doing to now again being consumed with difference. She began the encounter pointing out the difference between Jesus and you and her Samaritan, and then when she pushes, when he pushes her even further, and he un, 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 unveils the intimacy of her life, the details, she goes back to difference again. How is it that they, you, you a Jew, you all believe in temple worship? We Samaritans believe in mountain worship. And again, she sees difference. You see how poisonous difference can be. You can't even fully appropriate and appreciate the possibility that you may have a transcendent encounter with God in such a way that you begin to see your own inherent value and not connect yourself or value yourself as a woman to the men who are in your life. Oh, whoa, back up again. Because in that time, who you were as a woman was determined by the men you had in your life that she had five different identities because she had five different husbands. That at the end of the day, her identity was shaped by the different men she was married to. And even now, the six man she's in a relationship with, her identity is still being shaped by them. And here Jesus is saying that within you is all you really need. Oh, I hope you get this today. Within you is all you really need. It's not without you. It is within you. And then he tells her, he says, but hold on, hold on, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. And here's the crux of the matter, and I'll be done tonight or today or this morning. Here's the crux of the matter. He said, yes, you all do worship in the mountain. And yes, we do worship in uh, the temple. And, and you all sometimes are guessing in the dark with your worship. And then we Jews are in the light. Instantly, when you hear these words, you think that Jesus is trying to make difference the priority and to, to lessen who she is. She says, but yeah, it has been understood that salvation comes through the Jewish people and, and we there. He said, but there will come a day, and watch this, the day is right here, right now, 
There will come a day where it will not matter where you worship God, in the temple, on the mountain, because where you worship is not the issue. What you call yourself won't be the issue, and where you gather won't be the issue. My God, pause, and and I'll be done, but I want you to catch this. This is Jesus speaking. The one that people use his name to justify the weaponization of their religion. This is Jesus speaking, the one who people use as a dividing tool and a dividing element in gathering and maintaining the separation between people of different races, different sexual orientations, different ethnicities. We use Jesus as a battering ram to now beat people into submission and punitively exercise our faith in ways that minimize the humanity of other people. And here the carpenter is saying that there will be a time, and by the way, the time is now where what you call yourself and where you worship will not matter. God ain't interested in your label, your titles, your houses of worship, the places you celebrate God. God ain't interested in that. This is what the the carpenter is saying. Those who want to worship God must be willing to not engage their title, their labels, their difference, but their spirit. And in their spirit, they'll come in touch with truth. He said, this is the problem. When you worship God, when God sees you and you claim to be a worshiper, there's not one scene in the Bible, none. With all the different religious practices in Jesus' day, Jesus does not sit here and say, well, what denomination are you from? I mean, are you Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal? I mean, are you Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim? Jesus said to to people that the Jews considered dogs, Samaritan woman, that who you are, And what you call yourself won't matter. And where you worship, church, mosque, temple, synagogue, won't matter. That God is a little bigger than that. And what God desires is bigger than that. What God really wants are not people who use religious labels for pretense. What God desires are not people who use their so-called faith to destroy people. What God is really looking for are not people who think that somehow their Christian status gives them some level of exclusivity and special access to God because they're Christians and yet you're talking about a Jewish carpenter. What he says here, look at the words. What God is out looking for are people who can simply and honestly be themselves. (sighs) Hold on. God is looking for people who worship in the truth of who they are. Isn't it amazing that in church, in order to worship, we've asked people to lie about who they are? 
we, we've asked people to not fully disclose the fullness of their humanity because it's not acceptable. We, 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 have, we have misled people to not worship, but idolatry. Idolatry of what? Worshiping the rules and the rituals and the ceremonies. We have misled people and made them think that the rules, the rituals, the ceremonies are what God is interested in. What do you mean, Pastor? I know there's some who are watching this right now. Like, oh, Lord, here come Pastor. He bordering on heresy again. He about to say this craziness. No, it ain't, Pastor. Don't argue with me today. If you got a problem with what I'm saying, look in the book, talk to the carpenter. The carpenter said, what we call ourselves, what we label ourselves, where we go to worship God will not matter. What God is seeking is people, no matter where they are and what they may call themselves, who know how to be real. That's the secret to real worship. Not in your liturgy, not in your performances, not in the words you use, not in the things you say, not in the scriptures you quote, not in the songs you sing, not in the houses you build, not in the way you dress. Real worship is can you be real? Can you be honest about who you are? Can you be transparent? Can you be vulnerable? Can you be honest? Because it is your honesty that is the beginning of your worship, not your fraudulence. It is your transparency that opened up the door to relationship with God, not your pretentiousness. You get no credit for being an ecclesiastical actor. You get no credit for being a spiritual thespian. God wants people who can be honest and real because your realness is where real worship comes from. Period. I don't care what you call yourself, but if you know you are a son and daughter, of God. And here's the other part to real worship. Not just your authenticity, your transparency. And I close with this. Lastly, you're not ashamed of who you are. This woman saw a difference with her and Jesus. She saw a difference as a Jew and a Samaritan. She saw a difference and worship, but that didn't even matter at the end of the day. What she was able to do is to be honest. She had no idea that this conversation wasn't about water and wells. It was about being honest, honest about who you are. Those who worship God must worship out, Jesus says, of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, and not be ashamed. Five husbands. Well, she knew that was her story. The man she was with was not her husband, but she knew it was her story. And yet we have done this walk, this faith, a disservice.
by telling people not to be real about who you are. Hide it. Lie. Isn't it dangerous for the people who claim to follow the carpenter institute in their institutions don't ask, don't tell policies? Isn't it tragic? We spend our best energy trying to determine who's in and who's out, who's sinful and who's sinless, who's kingdom bound and who's hell bound. Here comes Jesus cutting through all of that. God is spirit. And those who worship God worship one in spirit, not just the spirit of God, but the spirit of their own authenticity. In spirit and truth, authenticity and honesty is where real worship begins. It is not the how of it. Well, do you do it like this? Do you sing like this? Do you read hymns out of a book? Do you read the words off the screen? Do you know the verses to quote? Do you have a certain liturgy? Because you can have all that right and feel wrong about yourself and still not get close to worship. The carpenter, at the end of the day, was seeking to elevate this woman so that she could transcend the imposed limitations upon her own humanity. I know they think you're a problem because you're a woman, and I know they think you're a problem because you're a Samaritan. But how can you be a problem for the one who created you? You always will be daughter. I always will be son. And there's nothing you or I can do that could cause God to take back our identity. No. Real worship is not performance-based. It's spirit-based. Can you honor God in spirit with your spirit with no fear of judgment? Authenticity and honesty become the gateway to adoration. Because God, when I lift up my hands, I want you to know it's me lifting them up and not some facade. God, when I open my mouth in praise, I want you to know that with every word of praise, there's also a word of honesty that can admit my faults, my failures, my flaws. That's what we do before God, knowing that at the end of the day, God values that. That's what the carpenter was trying to say. He was really saying, sister, you have no idea. You worried about the wrong things. You're already beginning the right way. You are real about who you are. That realness is what opens the space of encounter with the God who created you, fearfully and wonderfully made you. So that's the question. On this Valentine's Day where love is in the air, do you love yourself enough to be authentic? 
And do you love yourself enough to be honest? And do you love yourself enough to be real? Because it's in that space that you begin to worship and honor God. Come on, beloved, let's talk to God. Lord, thank you on today. For God, we are grateful for these gentle reminders that following Jesus requires more than powerless praise and weak worship. And honoring you through the teachings of your son requires us to participate in a radical reorientation to life where we learn how to affirm the dignity of other human beings and in doing so, inherently honor you, O oh God. God, forgive us for the times where in the name of Christian, we corrupted. Forgive us for the times that in the name of Christian, we already damaged people who were broken. Forgive us, O oh God, for the times we gave people stones instead of bread. Forgive us, O oh God, for not being transparent about who we are. Because God, if you cannot handle us in the fullness of our honesty, then we are truly lost. But because you know us and still love us, know us and still embrace us, know us and still desire to be in a relationship with us, why will we then waste our time pretending before other people? God, thank you for this reminder today about this secret to real worship, authenticity and honesty. We love you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute if you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.